0: Everybody good this morning? Uh, we're going to continue our series, What's the Difference? Actually, today's the final installment. Everybody say, ah. Uh, that was so genuine, so sincere. <laughs> it's fantastic, fantastic. Uh, real quick before I get going, um, obviously, I want to welcome our online viewers, our cable viewers. It's just kind of funny. I was at the gym the other day, and I was watching Pastor Mark preach in my gym. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You guys could, you guys get to get a little more animated than that. Is that not cool or what? Okay, all right. My gosh, we need to wake, we need to wake up this morning. Um, real quick announcement. I just want to let you guys know about a very important person that is, uh, that is visiting from the Dominican Republic this morning. Uh, Angel Ferrer is uh, is here. He is our missions director. You won't see him in the service, not in the service right now, but on the tail end of the service coming to the 10 and also the 1145, our, uh, our new full-time missions director in the Dominican Republic. Some of you may not realize that we have a mission in the Dominican Republic. We have a lot of positive changes in trajectory that are coming uh, this fall that you'll hear about very, very soon. He's up here because we're having uh, some strategy and a special meeting coming up uh, in a couple of days, but uh, if you get a chance to meet him, I want you to see and treat him just like family, because he's basically one of our very own. He is, he is uh, staff, uh, he's just staff in another country. Isn't that cool that we can actually just kind of uh, extend our hands and and reach people that are in another part of the world, and he's just doing an incredible job overseeing what we're doing down there. So please uh, say hello to him. Uh, he is a uh, citizen of the United States, but he is uh, uh, but he lives there, of course, bilingual, incredibly intelligent individual, and I'm so blessed to have him on our team. Amen? Anyway, you can get your worship guides out. Everybody ready to go? Take uh, you know copious notes. This is going to be one of those um, messages that is going to open your eyes to some different things. Um, really uh, kind of been anticipating this one. This is the first time I've ever talked about this particular topic. We've been uh, dealing with a range of um, uh, faiths and religions contrasted against New Testament biblical Christianity over the entire series. Uh, Pastor D just a couple of weeks ago did a phenomenal job on the subject of Islam. How many were here for that? Uh, if you didn't hear that, it was fantastic. Uh, he, he went into hiding for about three weeks uh, studying in a cave. Uh, to be able to uh, produce the content for that, uh, we took a little break last week, and my uh, beautiful bride was up here last week, kind of talking about Olympic parenting, and and we had an awesome uh, Sunday fun day. Uh We had uh, one of our largest kids attendance of the year, so we had a lot of kids show up here last week. Uh, just under just under 300 kids were downstairs. Uh, and outside because we can't actually fit them all <laughs> outside, inside, so that's why we do this event during the uh, during the summer so we can have an indoor outdoor thing. So, but this is the this is the final installment. And so, if you're interested in, in you know topics such as what's the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism, and what's what's you know what's up with with, with Islam, and what's up with you know LDS uh, the Latter Day Saints or, or or the Mormons and things like that, this is a great topic for you. Pastor Mark was another one who spoke during the series. So as As we continue... Talking about these fundamental differences um, in different faiths around the world. Go online, please watch those and pull those up. But today we're talking about New Age spiritualism. Everybody say New Age, and I don't have time to talk about all aspects or kind of uh, exit exits on this subject. I'll probably highlight like two or three um, New Age uh, spiritualists or 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 faiths that are kind of out there. But instead, I'm going to give you kind of the foundation. Two or, two or three principles that are the foundation or the premise uh, for what they believe versus what we believe. And then in the middle of that, what I'm going to also do is, because this is so important to our faith, this reinforces what we believe. We need to know what we believe and in whom we have believed. Mm-hmm. That's a good opportunity for an amen for everybody. And so, and so I'm going to give a little what we would call an exhortation, a little bit of a challenge to those that profess to know Christ because there's this tendency in particular with this subject to mix new age spiritualism with new testament christianity there's this crossover and this sometimes this mixture that takes place so if you have your Bibles, if you're following along on New Version or in your worship guide, the key scripture this morning is Galatians chapter 5. This is where we're going to get kind of the foundation uh, for uh, what we believe in contrast to New Age uh, belief systems. Here's the big idea. Everybody ready for the big idea? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, the big idea is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, okay? And in Galatians chapter 5, here's the context of this particular chapter. Uh, Paul, the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling all the people, uh, you know, he's, he's exhorting them, hey, um, these religious leaders that are out there, they're wrong. They got it all wrong. And there are these religious people at that time that are trying to add to the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's really what it means in a nutshell. And these religious leaders are trying to add new things to the gospel. They're trying to add religious traditions Um, certain practices. And Paul is saying, no way, Jose. In essence, this is what all of Galatians really is about, but Galatians 5 in particular, Jesus plus nothing. It's faith in Christ and Christ alone. And to add anything is to subtract from the completed work of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he, it's, it's called that. It's called when he got up on the cross and said three words, it is finished. That means it was complete. It was con- entire. It was comprehensive. Jesus, what he did, plus nothing else was enough for me. We just sang about that just a second ago, amen? And so this begs the question, though, if you believe that, all right, I know that's how this is uh, rectified, the, the, the relationship between me and God and, and, and eternity and security and, and, and heaven and hell are, are, and, and the consequences of sin, and all those things are satisfied because of what Jesus did, but, but how do I change in the here and now? We have a phrase as a leadership that, that your heart can change in a second, but your life has changed over time. It's, it's a process. Is everybody with me? In other words, I know I can make a decision in my mind. You know, I can, I can decide to help Stacey in the kitchen, but I don't necessarily feel like it when I decide that, right? How many know that's a process, right? Because, like, when I do the dishes in the kitchen, like, and I make up my mind I'm going to help her, like, like it's, a, it's a party, like, I want everybody to know, hey, you know, dad's in the kitchen, you know, cleaning the dishes, let everybody know. I want everybody to know because it was a big deal to make that change, right? So, because so, I wanted to do something else, you know. So how does change actually happen in our life? And Paul answers that in Galatians 5. And this is the platform to talk about new age spirituality. Verse 16 and following, it says this. So Paul says, so I say, and this is in response to how do you change, walk by the what? Walk by the Spirit. Now notice that the word Spirit there is capitalized because it's referring to a member of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He says, so walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify, or you could say satisfy, the desires of the flesh. So he's talking about the fact that we have, uh, as triune beings, we, reflecting God's Trinity, we have a sinful nature. We have a part of us that is predisposed towards sin. We are, in essence, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, we have this unified doctrine that we are all natural-born sinners. Okay, nobody had to teach me how to sin; it came naturally. <laughs> Does everybody get me? Right. So, if you have kids, how many? anybody have kids? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, anybody who was a kid? Okay, let's just make sure we get everybody. So we all have this predisposition, this tendency, this inclination in our sinful nature to sin, okay? So we're not, you don't have to teach people that. So it says, for the flesh, now the flesh is, again, referring to this, this natural part of us. There's a natural part of us. Desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you just so that you don't do whatever you want. So when when you say yes to Jesus, when you receive that, you have that faith reception, grace. I didn't earn it, deserve it. Jesus got on the cross for me by grace That that I just accepted that grace gift through faith, I get saved. By grace through faith, we're saved, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. When you make that faith reception, you receive that, by, there, something happens inside of you. Immediately, a, a war begins inside of you between the sinful nature and the godly nature. When you made that faith reception, the Bible says, behold, all things become new. What becomes new? You get a new heart. Now you don't you don't have to sin anymore. You can choose not to sin anymore. You're not just led by your loins. You're not just led by your lusts and, and all those different things. You can say no. Everybody say, I can say no. But there's a war, though. There's, there's, and that war is referred to as, as temptation. By the way, this tension between that sinful nature and that godly nature are letting you know that your salvation is legit. If you feel that war... That's confirmation, validation that something happened inside of you between you and God. Does that make sense? It's a good sign. It's actually normal. You mean, so if I'm, if I had this tension between doing right and doing wrong, I'm normal? Yeah. It's called temptation. Hello, Jesus was tempted. No, none of us are going to exceed or, 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 or go greater than, than Jesus. Jesus was tempted, but he just, he didn't give into his sins. So he modeled for us how to overcome temptation, One person asked me not too long ago, when when is temptation no longer an issue? When you're dead. When you're dead because the flesh is dead at that particular point. Everybody tracking with me? So you're not going to outgrow Jesus. So this is how you win that battle is you don't do it through keeping rules and adding practices and different things like that. Paul is saying, no, you win this battle between those two natures by the spirit, by the spirit. It's faith in Jesus uh, in the hereafter, and the Holy Spirit makes that possible, and it's faith in Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the here and now that helps you overcome the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and, 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 and wanting this and wanting that. Is everybody with me? That's how it happens. Verse 18. This is good preaching. I, I didn't really expect to be this good at 8.15 this morning, but it's pretty good. Okay. Verse 18. But if, you're, but if you're led by the Spirit, and no caffeine, if you're led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. In other words, you don't have to worry about rules. Verse 19. Here he reveals the fruit of the sinful nature, okay? Here's the fruit of the sinful nature. There's different fruits. There's fruit of the spirit, there's fruit of the sinful nature. The the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything above God. Witchcraft, or sometimes it says sorcery. That's trying to manipulate God to get what you want. Hatred is pretty obvious. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. Just in case he left anything off the list, he says, and the like. It's like you get the point here. Are you guys getting the point on what the fruit of the sinful nature is? I warn you, as you did before, those who live like this don't inherit the kingdom. Then 22, he says, so here's the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit, opposite antithesis of, is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance, or you could say long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and temperance, or self control, is another word. Against such, there's no there's no rules or law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So how do we not satisfy or gratify the sinful desires of the flesh? How do we crucify the passions of the flesh? We walk by the Spirit. So it says in verse 25, recapping it all, since we live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. That means it's, it doesn't just happen once. It's a process. It's a journey. It's step by step, kind of like what the first song we were singing this morning. So if I bring this all together, Galatians 5 is saying Jesus plus nothing is salvation Christ and Christ alone but the theme of christian living after salvation is by the power uh, of God through the holy spirit we overcome the sinful desires of the flesh is everybody with me so so and this is where all religions or other faiths get it wrong get it wrong or we're completely different or distinct religion Religion is about working and earning for salvation, okay? Uh, it's working or earning your way to God. But the gospel is not about earning or working your way to God. The gospel is about God coming to you and fulfilling all the works for you. It's totally and completely different. And religion is about advice, okay? It's, it's what you have to earn or learn to accept God. Religion is good advice and Christianity is good news, it's different. It's not good advice. It's good news. In other words, you can't earn. You can't do something to get that acceptance. Or, so Jesus came in to that gap between you and God, whatever separated from you and God, which we know is sin, but it can be different types of sin. It could just be our sinful nature, and he got in the way for you to create a bridge so that you and God could be in right standing. So we couldn't make our way to God on our own, so he made his way to us. It's awesome. It's awesome. So now, in the here and now, uh, it's not about earning, it's about learning. See, it's not about earning something. To get with God, so now together with God, there's no barrier because of what Jesus did for us. And we, uh, in order to overcome these the the, the flesh, um, we need to learn how to walk by the Spirit. That's what biblical spiritri- spirituality is. Is everybody with me? He, we're in relationship with Him. He's your daddy. He's your father. He's adopted you as a son, and now He's gonna kind of walk and talk with you, and you're gonna learn and receive from Him as a son or as a daughter. And this is what it means to kind of walk by the Spirit. You shadow. You shadow your father. You shadow uh, God himself. You learn from the example of his son here on on the earth. And as a result, in that relationship with him, you learn how to follow the Holy Spirit's leadings uh, and and listen to him as you go forward. Those that are led by the spirit, the Bible says, are the sons of God. So we think life change will happen sometimes by keeping rules and by doing and obeying certain laws. But that's really not what Paul is saying. We don't don't focus on, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I don't get up every day and I'm not going to look at a girl lustfully. I'm not going to, you know, gamble. I'm not going to drink too much. I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. I'm not going to, whatever it is, that's not what you do in order to overcome sin because whatever I focus on, that's what I'll follow. Whatever I focus on, that's what I'll follow. It's, it's not a focus on sin or even not sinning because that ultimately becomes a focus on sin. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. What fill in the blank that's still the wrong focus is everybody tracking with me most of the new testament tells us that what we focus on will follow romans 8 5 it's in your notes it says those who have their minds set on the things of the sinful nature produce what that sin, that nature desires you focus on the things of the sinful nature you think about those things as a man thinks in his heart proverbs 23 7 so is he uh, but those who have their minds set on the things that the Holy Spirit produces, it, it will produce what the Holy Spirit desires. So you focus on the fruit of the Spirit and not on the fruit of the sinful nature. You're going you're gonna to produce the right kind of fruit. And so this, this is what that basically means. It's not, it's not like a, a wand that you put on, you know, you, you go and get prayed for and just poof, now you're going to just focus on the fruit of the Spirit the rest of your life. That's not what it necessarily means to walk by the Spirit. It's not hocus pocus, it's Focus. Okay. It's not hocus pocus. Okay. It's not just a, whoo, you know, a couple little incantations and then everything's going to be cool. It's about adjusting your trust it's adjusting your trust to what you can do, your works, your efforts, to the finished work and effort of God. But in relationship with what, who he is and what he did, that's how we overcome. It's, that's where the fellowship comes. It's from the fellowship with God. As a result, you get the fruitfulness that you want in your life. It's so good. And so you repent, That's how you and, and, and you turn to Jesus. That's how you get saved. But then you overcome in this life by, by walking in the spirit. You don't focus on sin. You focus on feeding your spirit in relationship relationship with God. My dad used to say, you know, when I go out and mow the lawn, I used to get frustrated by all the dandelions. And so I'd be outside pulling all the dandelions. And I just, as soon as I pulled one up, seemed like the next day, there's five more. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? My personality doesn't handle that very well. I like things perfect, straight, clean, neat. Just follow me around for a little while, right? It's like, so he's like, you know, son, you got to stop pulling the weeds. You got to overseed to kill the weed. I was like, oh, it's just, it just hit me. It's like, you need to plant more grass. And eventually that grass will strangulate all those stupid weeds. I was like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So sometimes we're focusing on sin. We're focusing on, oh, this stupid dandelion, the stupid sin. Oh, there's another sin. I'm going to pull that one up. Oh, there's another one, another one. No, you just need to focus on the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, goodness, yeah. faithfulness. You know, if you focus on that, you're going to suffocate all the sinful dandelions in your life. Otherwise, you're going to be just like one of those lint pickers. I call them lint pickers, spiritual lint pickers. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about picking your nose. I'm talking about people with the sweaters. You know what I mean? Like, oh, there's another piece of lint. There's another piece of lint. Oh, my gosh. I am never going to get over all these problems. It seems like I'm going to spend the rest of my life just lint pickers because you're focusing on the wrong thing. Does everybody get me this morning? It's not hocus pocus, it's focus, and you don't focus on sin, you focus on the fruit of the Spirit, so you can walk in the Spirit as a result, you overcome these things, so you feed the right thing. It's like the guy who came, you know, what do you call that uh, Alaskan race, that Iditarod race, and and what do you call them, mushers or something like that, those those race, you know that's a thousand miles through the tundra of Alaska, they say it's more, less people have completed that race than climb Mount Everest, it's amazing. But, but one time, one of these mushers came up, and he had two identical huskies, and a guy asked him, which one of those huskies is the strongest? And he said, whichever one I feed the most. And that's how it is with your sinful nature and your godly nature. The one that's the strongest is going to be the overseed, you'll kill the weed. Feed the right side and you'll overcome the wrong side of your life. Is everybody tracking with me? No. So it's not about earning salvation. This is, it's about learning after salvation. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing. So you don't just pray, you know, when you get up in the morning for a couple of minutes beside your bed. That's good. You should do that. You don't just pray before you eat your meal. You should say grace before your meal and thank God before you eat. That's a good thing to do. But you pray without ceasing. Pray in the car. Don't close your eyes, okay, because that will be a problem. (laughs) All right, you can pray with your eyes open. God's not mad if you do that, all right? But it's, this is just how we stay, feeding that right nature. And the Holy Spirit can do powerful things in you and through you, but it's a matter of focus. That's why it says in Matthew six thirty three, seek first, what? The kingdom of God. That's a statement of focus, right? Uh, Hebrews tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's a statement of focus. Not hocus pocus, but what? focus so new age spirituality is different though and you say when are you going to get to that I'm getting to it I just you need to get this right first before you can get the latter part right is everybody with me so it has something to do with it so New Age spirituality is not about earning salvation from God or learning or following God to submit to God. No, it's about manipulating God to, 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 to do what I want. It's about manipulating the universe to do what I, what I want and, and progressing to be either more like God or to get what I want from God. They, the, the New Age spirituality is diametrically opposed to biblical spirituality. So here's the differences between New Testament spirituality and New Age spirituality. Are you enjoying this so far? So the first point is, there's three points. Different foundation is the first point. We have a different foundation. So there are different examples. I can only do a few. Some of you have heard of these people like Deepak Chopra. He was a uh, transcendental meditation follower and a whole bunch of other things about him. And uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle, considered by some to be the most spiritually influential man on the planet. Uh, Oprah Winfrey made him famous. He used to do a series of um, webinars, wrote a book called, if you ever heard of it, The Power of Now. Has anybody ever heard of that book? Um, Another New Age um, spiritualist, L. Ron Hubbard. He is is the former head of the uh, Scientology, Christian Science movement. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But in all of these examples and many more that we come up, the foundation is basically the same. Here's new age spirituality. Basically, it's me centric, me centric. Okay. The theme song of a new age spirituality person is me, 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 me. You know what I mean? That's what they're thinking, okay? That's what's kind of going through when, when they warm up every day. It's trying to get what I want. It's, trying, it's basically saying, God, I want you to do something for me. I'm trying to get the universe to submit to, to my reality. I, I want to be God, not you be my God. It's different. And so when you try to manipulate God in any way, that is immediately putting you in the realm of New Age Spirituality. Whatever the thing is, that's why I can't address all the things, but I can address the thing that addresses all the things, okay? So I, I, don't, want, I don't want God to, to, to I, I want God to work for me instead of me living for him. We flip the flow completely in new age spirituality. The truth is it's called new age, but it's actually an old lie. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, you see where the fall of man took place. This is why we have the problems that we have on our earth today, basically. But the devil comes to Eve, talks to her, uh, the deceiver, as you know, and and basically uh, she tells him uh, the rule. There's one rule, not rules, there was one boundary in all of the Garden of Eden, don't eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and basically, um, uh, the enemy says, did God really say that? And, and, and you know, there's no way that he could have said that. You can't, be, you can't believe that because if you believe that, if, if you fall into that, that, that line of thinking, then um, uh, you, God knows if you ate of that tree, your eyes would be open and you would be like a god. You'd be like God, okay? And so she liked that. She bit the bait on that. Oh, I could be like God. That's where New Age spirituality was actually birthed, was right there in the Garden of Eden. Is everybody tracking with me? Genesis chapter 3, it's like verse 1 through 5. So she bites the bait. She, She sings the song, me, 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 be like God, all right? Then she eats the forbidden fruit, and then she leads her husband into the same deception. He follows that as a foolish man and the fall of man for all time. The goal of New Age is to manipulate God and get the universe to do what I want it to do. New Testament Christianity centers around the Word and Jesus, or actually the Word is Jesus. Before Jesus became flesh and dwelt among men, he was the Word, the Word of God, amen? And so we want to become like God. And, and follow Christ's example in our life. But now I'm going to pick on some Christians for a second, and I, and I just want you to know I love everybody, and I'm, but I'm going to bust maybe some people's bubbles here a little bit. But Christians mix New Age spirituality and Christianity all the time. We, how do we do that? We go to a verse in the Bible, and we manipulate it to say what we want it to say. We, 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 we contort it. We twist it. We try to get it to say something we want to say. And so there's two rules that I want you to know so you're good, solid Christ followers. Here's two biblical rules of interpretation. Number one, exegesis. I think this is in your notes. And eisegesis. You guys see that in there? Okay, big words. Uh, exegesis it's, is good. Eisegesis is bad. Exegesis is where you objectively interpret the scripture. This is the right way to study the Bible. So you don't read the verse... Um, and you you try to make it say what you want it to say, you look at what it says in context to the original audience. You think, what did it mean or say to the original hearers? Does that make sense to everybody out there? Yes no. That's what exegesis is. Didn't make sense to everybody but anyway, hopefully it makes sense as I keep going. But exegesis is is objective interpretation of scripture. Eisegesis is subjective interpretation of scripture, and this is the wrong way to study the Bible. And basically, this is it begins with me. It be, or you could say it begins with I. In other words, I believe this and I think this and I need something to back it up for me. In in eisegesis, it begins with I, but in exegesis, it begins with God, okay? And so in our day, tons of people mix scripture. This is a form of New Age spirituality in essence. TV evangelists, Christian evan- supposed Christian evangelists do this all the time. They twist the truth for personal gain. They'll take a scripture and they'll twist it they'll pull it out of context and say, if you give $1,000, God is going to bless you a hundredfold. Does anybody, you're going to get $100,000 is what they're saying, right? And amazingly, thousands upon thousands of people get duped into following this kind of foolishness. And so they'll read the scripture, isogetically, they'll read it out of context and look at it and say, oh, look, it does say that. So I'm going to go ahead and give a $1,000. No, it doesn't say that. And it's foolish to say that. It's foolish to communicate that and speak that. If it's out of context, it's a con, if it's out of context, it's a con, and you need to stay away from it. Here's a couple of verses that do that. Hang on for this. This will be interesting to you. But in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ what? Who strengthens me. How many know that scripture or heard that before maybe in your life? Okay. We, Christians who've been in church a long time, we quote this all the time. And, and, and so what we do is this is where Jesus comes in. We take that verse, and they're going to cue something for you. We take that verse, and we add this to it. All right? Listen to this. I believe I can fly. This is how we interpret that scripture. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. Right? That's what we do. You can fade that out. So, so we take, I can do all things through Christ, and we believe we can fly. We can do anything. I believe I can achieve this goal. I believe I can lose this weight. I can believe I can do that. I believe I can do this. I used to listen to preachers preach that particular scripture. I remember being a high school student, listening to somebody preach that particular scripture, and I went home and I thought, He's right. Whatever I believe I can achieve. And then I went home and I thought, I'm going to dunk a basketball. <laughs> How many know back then I was like five foot eight? about 185 pounds, something like that, and uh, you know, the only thing I could dunk is donuts back then, just just so you know. I had my feet, and even more so now, planted on a firm foundation, if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) There was no, there was very, very unlikely that I was ever going to dunk a basketball. And so we put this whole mentality, this twist to it a lot of times. And just, just let me tell you what the context is. Verse 14 of that same chapter, if we apply exegesis and not eisegesis, it says this, but it was good of you to share in my sufferings. What? It was good for you to share my sufferings. This is the context. I can do all things, so I'm never going to have any pain. I'm never going to have any problems. I'm never going to have any obstacles. I'm never going to have any fear. I'm never going to have any. But if you read this chapter right, it's all about contentment. The context of this chapter is contentment. It's the exact opposite of what our normal interpretation of the scripture is. He said, I've had a lot, and I've learned to be content with that. I've had a little, and I've learned to be content with that as well. In this context, sometimes we don't see it right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it's good for you to share in my sufferings is what he's saying. Follow me on this, everybody? Some of you are freaking out about this, like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Here, I'll get you with another one. Jeremiah 29:11. Some of you are like, oh, crap, I have this on a pillow in my house. <laughs> it's like a poster with a cat on it, and I'm going down. This is going to be bad. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this. God speaking, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you give you hope in a future. Listen, this wasn't written to you and me, actually, okay? If you read... Uh, verse 1 of chapter 29, it, said, it was written to the elders of Jerusalem who are in exile in Babylon. And God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he's trying to teach them something. He's trying to say to the elders in exile in Babylon, I want you to know something. I, ha- I remember you. I haven't forgotten you, and I know God has a plan for you, not for you. Is everybody tracking with me out there? So two rules of interpretation. This is good. I don't know if this is in your notes, but it's bonus. You can get this. Two rules of biblical interpretation. Is it prescriptive, prescriptive, or descriptive? Prescriptive or descriptive? You kind of have to ask the question, does it apply to all people, prescriptive, for all times, in all situations, or is it descriptive? Does it apply to just those people for just that time in that situation? Is everybody getting me? So sometimes when we twist scripture, make it say what we want it to say, that is how often New Age spiritualism can get into our lives. Everybody tracking with me? So, so we can't make the word submit to our authority. We have to submit to the word as our authority. Yes. And in order to do that appropriately, we have to make sure we're exegeting the scripture and we have to determine whether it's prescriptive or descriptive in the process. This is good. This will help some people, okay? Number two, different theology. So we have different foundation New Age versus Biblical, New Testament biblical Christianity. Uh, We also have a different theology. So, New Age, again, it's kind of repetitive, but God is whatever or whoever I want Him to be. In New Age, I have sole authority. I determine what truth is, I make God in my image. Spiritualism, one definition, if you look it up, is God is this infinite intelligence that pervades the universe that God is all and in, in all. This is just like a, it's just like, it just, it, when I listen to it, I don't even understand what it means. But, 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 but Scientology is, an, is one of those examples. Scientology, they actually flat out say God is whoever you want him to be. That is not who God is to a New Testament Christian. God is, he's I am. God is, it's settled, secure, all right? Uh, Christian Scientology was founded by a guy named L. Ron Hubbard in, I think, 1955 or 1953, actually. And interestingly enough, it's always interesting, the background on different people and some of these things and how it, uh, this is very true of LDS, uh, Mormonism. Uh, you see this very true of Jehovah Witnesses. There's always a story through an individual. In other words, the windshield they look at life through bleeds through in the religion that you see permeated the world. but. L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer, not a very good one actually either. He wasn't very successful at it, but uh, he was kind of a, a, the famous you know, uh, founder of this whole thing. The most famous Scientologist you probably know in the world today is Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, right. Uh, others are like John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, Kelly Preston, et cetera. The bottom line of Scientology as an example is, is they believe this, you are a God, uh, but you just forgot that you are. You are a God, but you forgot you are. Now, this is true stuff. You won't even believe this, but uh, if you would never heard about this, but L. Ron Hubbard taught we are all infinite and eternal, that we had pre-mortal existence. We, we existed before, and that before the world was created, we were called theotans, T-H-E-O-T-A-N-S. These theotans were infinite and eternal, but what happened is we were, we, they were bored, okay? So what they did was they created M-E-S-T, matter, energy, space, and time. They're bored as theotins, so they create M-E-S-T, matter, energy, space, and time. And, and as bored, you know, theotans, uh, they lived outside of that. And in the course of playing with M-E-S-T, they forgot they, that they, they were immortal and they started behaving like mortals. And as a result, they began entrapped by their flesh in the context of M-E-S-T. Crazy, right? So so Scientology helps prepare you to progress out of MEST back to your original theatin state. That progression is sometimes called auditing. Auditing, and so what happens is in auditing they hook you up to a machine. Uh, it's called an e-meter, and what they do is this particular machine. It's like it's like counseling, and you be, they begin to ask you a series of questions in order to find out what is bothering you, what is ailing you, what is troubling you, what is keeping you from progressing to your godlike status. And there, a lot of the times it's like these negative thoughts and ideas. They call them engrams. Engrams. They're painful memories or happenings in your life in your your reactive mind. Scientists believe we are, uh, Scientologists, excuse me, believe we are reincarnated over and over again with the ultimate goal of breaking past MEST, progressing out of matter, energy, space, and time, again, completely returning to your godlike status through this auditing process. And by the way, auditing is very expensive. And there are multiple, multiple levels for you to go through. Almost nobody ever completes this auditing process. The goal of auditing is to go what they call go clear. When you go clear, that is when you have the ability to manipulate the universe and environment around you to do what you want it to do. Some of you remember a book that came out, L. Ron Hubbard wrote it, called Dianetics, Anybody ever seen that? There were commercials and shows all the time with Dianetics all over TV. Ultimately, if you keep this up, you will separate from your physical body that is limiting you and be over this. Now, some of you, if you watch the Super Bowl or the Olympics, one of the biggest commercials in the Super Bowl Olympics was a Scientology commercial. The commercial was, Who Am I? You can go look at it online. It's very obvious what it's up to. But it was saying that you, could pre- you can progress to become all that you already are all that you already are, and a goal, again, to become like God. Uh, Another example of this new age thing is there was a book that came out. It was hot like pancakes uh, called The Secret. Has anybody ever heard or read The Secret? You won't get in trouble if you heard or read it, but anyway, there was this book that came out, really popular with entrepreneurs and and salespeople. Um, But the foundation of this book is new age. It, It actually applies a law called the Law of Attraction. The law of attraction and if basically if you think about it. Focus on it. You can attract it to yourself, have it, or achieve it. In other words, the goal would be to manipulate the universe, the environment in which you live, to bring to you what it is you are focusing on. In fact, one of the actual examples and illustrations within a video on this is uh, if you wanted a car, a Porsche Cabriolet, a Porsche convertible, or something like that. If you if you sit on a sofa and 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 you 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 imagine yourself in a nice suit and and you're behind this. Wheel and you're holding, and you're smelling the leather of the car, and you see yourself putting the top down, and, and driving along, you know, a, a, a ravine, or something like that, and, and you just kind of go into this, this, this realm of focus, eventually, if you imagine it enough, and often enough, eventually the universe will respond, and you can attract that Porsche Cabaret to yourself. This is new age, in its purest sense. Is everybody tracking me out there? So New Age spirituality is I can become like a God or I manipulate God to what I want him to do, and I have sole authority instead of him being sole authority. Whereas New Testament Christianity is Jesus is God, and, and it's not advice, it's good news, and, and, and Jesus is God, and you're not. And I'm not. And if you want to know who God is or what he's like and you want to understand him, then you look to Jesus because he's God in the flesh and he's our example and role model. It's totally different and unique. Everybody with me? All right, here's my last point. Everybody say last point, but it's going to be good. So it's different foundation. All right. The last point is a different gospel, different gospel. Different gospels. So again, New Age, uh, there's good news, all right? In the New Age thing, their New Age good news is you can become God or you can manipulate God, the universe in in, in essence. The gospel of New Age is me. But in the New Testament, the gospel is about a person, Jesus Christ. And and, and so he, he made a way for us to be with him. So if I break this down, uh, it's hard to do it without it getting a little a little heavy, and so this last part, God help me with this last part. But basically, the way to understand this is, is to understand the Trinity, which is sometimes very difficult to understand. But the, to understand New Age, you have to understand the Trinity, and the Trinity is is what God is and who God is at His very essence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit—three distinct persons in one, one who is three, and three who are still one. They just—it don't freak out. Just hang on. In fact, in fact, when you think about the Trinity, don't think addition—one plus one plus one plus one. All right, think multiplication—one times one times one times one. All right. So sometimes it just helps me to get a picture to understand. I think when you think Trinity, think think like H two O. You know, water can have multiple forms, can't it? Right? Water can be, it can be water, it can be a solid, it can be a gas, all right? H2O can come in different forms. The Trinity is one divine essence expressing himself in three persons. So here's, here's the thing about the Trinity that you need to understand. The Trinity, even before the foundation of the world, um, what's so cool about the Trinity is love existed in the Trinity between God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Spirit to the Son and the Father, the Son to the Spirit and to the Father. Love existed in the Godhead. There is, um, there is the reason, one of the attributes of God is self sufficiency. One of the reasons that God is self sufficient is because there was giving and serving amongst the Godhead. As a result, they are not self centered. The Trinity demonstrates. The beliefs of Christianity are not self-centered. Whereas the beliefs of new age are incredibly self-centered. Um, In the context of the Trinity, none of the persons within it are self-centered. They are glorifying and revolving around each other. In fact, you can see this in John chapter 17. It talks about that in just the first few verses. Again, the Father glorifying the Son, the Spirit, and and, and so on, each one to each other. So the context of the Trinity is mutual, self-giving, and serving love to each other. Now, if you think about this, all of creation since it was started by God, is a reflection of that connection and and, and what we see exist in the Godhead. Life itself, life itself exists because everything on this planet, everything in this universe is about giving and serving. Everything is about that. In other words, uh, C.S. Lewis called it a great dance. It's like this push and this pull this give and this serve and in the context of giving and serving you can see this relationship the early church fathers actually called it paracourses or that's where we get the word choreography it's this it's this dance of giving and loving you can see it you can see it in the solar system you can see it um, you can see it in the oceans and the tides In life, where there's this give and there's this serve, you can see it between the moon and the stars. You can see it right now, even on a micro scale with the protons and neutrons and electrons. And they're self-sufficient, but they're not self-centered because they're bouncing off one another and giving and receiving. And why is it so important? Because all of creation reflects this. What does this have to do with new age, Pastor D? Because new age spirituality puts me at the center of the universe. That's why. Puts me, it's, it's me giving to me, serving me. It's about me ignoring, and in essence, everybody else and have everybody else serve me. It's about me figuring out how you can give to me and serve me. All of the universe should revolve around me, and that's the problem. And here's why this is a big problem. because when And this is what happens to people who go down this road. When I'm self-centered and selfish, then my soul begins to self-destruct. You getting all that? That's why I did all that so that you could see because if you're the center of your universe, you ultimately, at a soulish level, you will self-destruct. The truth about the gospel is God loves you, God cares about you, but it's not all about you or it's not all about me. It's about everyone. It's about Jesus plus nothing equals everything so we can affect everyone. In Luke 9, 24, it says, to find your life, you must lose it. To live your life first, you must die. Die physically, no, die to yourself. You being the center of the universe. Now, if you're going to live life, you have to live it for something bigger than you is the secret sauce to New Testament biblical spirituality. Is everybody with me? It's not about you. In fact, I saw a great picture of this, and I want to play this video for you, and then we'll pray and conclude. Listen to this video, and just just get a picture. If young kids can do this, so can we. Check this out.
1: Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea? No, everyone was in on it. But like the coaches didn't know anything about it. So we were like going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score. It's just like to make someone's day, make someone's week, just make them happy. The play, which was two plays actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring, even if it meant taking a dive on the one yard line, which it did. The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time. Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. Hug. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Hug. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players.
0: Hug, Gabe.
1: What is surprising is how they have embraced him. Hello. We thought it would be cool to do something for him because we really wanted to prove that he was part of our team and he meant a lot to us. Nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one before. Which brings us to part two of their play. If you didn't see Keith, it's because they were so protective of him. But he was in the middle of that rush. And when you crossed the goal line, what was that like? Awesome. (laughs) It was like, did he just score a touchdown? Get your camera out. Like. Keith's parents, Carrie and Jim, almost missed the moment, but they got the significance. Somebody's always going to have his back from now until the day he graduates. She's right. When the football team decides you're cool, pretty much everyone follows suit. Today, Keith is a new kid. Although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed. What was it like for you? It was like like once I saw him going, I was smiling like about like here wide receiver Justice Miller. (laughs) Like nothing could wipe that smile off my face. Why did it affect you so much? Because like he's never been like cool or popular and he went from being like pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day. Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory.
0: Well, I I kind of went from being somebody like mostly cared about myself and my friends, to caring about everyone, and trying to make everyone's day and everyone's life.
1: Which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time.
0: Would you guys stand your feet? Let me uh, pray with you for a second. The Bible says that, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave the first thing he gave actually before he came was he gave up his glory. You know, he gave up his, his seat, his throne. He, he divested himself of all of that. And, and yet in new age spirituality, it's all about me receiving the glory, me getting what I want, me manipulating things for a personal gain. Ultimately, as we can see in that testimonial, we, we by default won't think about others. We'll think about ourselves. That's why we need Jesus. But when we ask Jesus into our life, then he'll encourage us not to live for ourselves, but to live for others. That's, that's it. That's the gospel, and that's what walking by the Spirit really looks like. It's giving yourself to other people. It's realizing God gave himself for you, so you can give yourself for others. With every head bowed and every eye closed, it's so important that we get this thing at a foundational or basic level. God loves you. God cares about you. <laughs> but life is not all about you, and you will, you will self-destruct. You won't be happiest like this young man was if you're doing your whole life for you, playing the game of life for yourself. You do it for others. If you're here today and you're listening online and you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, he's knocking on the door of your heart, I just encourage you to let him in this morning. If you know God is speaking to you through this message and you know he's challenging you to make sure that you live by the Spirit, to you focus on the fruit of the Spirit and you live for God more than you have before, if you know that God is challenging you to do that, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Come on, all over the room. I know people need to focus more on God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're here today and maybe you haven't taken that first step and you haven't invited Jesus Christ into your life and surrender to him. That's what starts this whole ball rolling. If you've done it before, you don't need to do it again. It's done, it's sealed, it's delivered. But if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to raise your hand so I can pray for you and you can surrender your life to Jesus. Anybody that says, that's me, thank you, Jesus. If you're listening online, you can respond wherever you are. Thank you, God. Church, would you just pray this prayer with me and just mean it from your heart, but say it with your mouth. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I need you. I can't do life without you. It's not about me. It's about you. And today, I choose to live my life for you. As a follower of Christ, help me to walk by the Spirit and not satisfy or gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. But see the fruit of the Spirit in my life more and more in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. That's awesome. That's awesome.